listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one, as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Pioneer Water Tanks, the most trusted name in water storage in Australia. For over 30 years, they've remained the industry leader by continually improving the engineering and technology that goes into every tank. Superior technology gives you superior peace of mind for your precious water storage. Welcome back to the Central Station podcast. Today's episode was hands down one of my all-time favourites to record, And I also had a bit of an epiphany when reflecting upon it. This podcast series is called Stories from Outback Cattle Stations. And in our intro, we say that we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. And so far, most of the stories on this podcast have taken place on cattle stations. However, I think it's about time that we started including stories that take place off the station or even outside of Northern Australia. Because to restrict the stories we share to just what happens up north would be to shortchange our listeners and take away from our guests. You see, the men and women who have worked and lived in some of the most remote parts of Australia have incredible stories to tell, but not all of them take place in the outback. In this episode, we're going to hear from Jamie Jenkins, who has had some unbelievable experiences before she headed up north to the cattle industry. I had absolutely no idea what direction this episode was going to go in, as you'll hear from my genuine reactions throughout the episode, but I think you'll agree that it's an absolute cracker and it really does demonstrate how everyone has a story. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So before we get started, I just want to give our listeners a visual because obviously they can't see us and if they didn't see it on social media I just feel like we're in such a location today that people should should appreciate where we are for what we're doing. Where are we today? So we're in a sea container and we're surrounded by bridles and saddles and all sorts of fun things. And we're really lucky there is a fan which people can probably hear in the background um, blowing air on us but there's no way in Hades that I am not having this fan on because it's what mid-October it's the build-up it did rain yesterday in the last couple of days so it is gross and humid and you've also been working all day so I don't want to perish my podcast talent (laughs) but yeah so just uh if you guys can hear any kind of an echo or a fan in the background that's because we are literally doing it rough Anyway, so I like to start off, before we get into your story, um, I like to start off some of my episodes by asking people what they're reading, watching, or listening to at the moment, and I believe that you have something to tell me about what you're listening to. Yeah, so I actually have very limited song choice at the moment, because one of the stations I was working at um, before now, um, my Apple subscription didn't come out properly so it didn't like pay through so all the songs that were on my phone got undownloaded so I didn't we don't have service where we were camping so I couldn't like listen to anything so we drove out to the water tank that we get service at and there's only one bar and 
I could download maybe 20 songs that one time and I still haven't updated it from then. So I just listened to the same 20 songs. I love the audio. It's just the same ones on repeat. I hope they're good ones. Is it, are they like all the same or is it like a mix of like country and pop and rock? Yeah, it's a bit of a mix. mix. It's probably mostly country, but yeah, it's a little bit. At mixed. least you should have like a good repertoire now if you ever do karaoke night. Like well, the, you know, should know those songs really yeah, well. Yeah, I know all the words. <laughs> I just love it's like hashtag station life, got no service, can't download anything. There's nothing more painful when you're out somewhere and like either the Wi-Fi is really bad or you've got that one bar and it will show you like someone will send you a message on like Facebook and they send you the picture but nothing loads and they're like, oh my God, check this out. And you're like, no, I'm going to need about three days before I can see what you're talking about. I know. It was such a blessing though having no service out there because we just – like, we were all so close with the people we worked with because we had to actually sit and talk with each other every night. Like, you made eye contact yeah. and had conversations? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Oh, it's probably as close to old school as you're going to get it, I guess, these days. So, for people, obviously, or anybody, even me, let's be honest, usually when I interview people, I know them quite well and I know a bit of their story. I met you here about two weeks ago, a week ago. Um, and then you had no idea and I've just basically ambushed you into this, but that is, as anybody who's been listening for a long time will know, most people on this podcast, you know, they don't ask to come on, they don't even really agree. I kind of just force them to do it. Um, but I don't know a whole lot about you, but I'm going to learn today. So your name is Jamie Jenkins. Let's start. I like to, you know, I'm a bit of a logical person. Let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? Let's just start with the little baby, Jamie, early years. Yep. Um, so I was born in South Africa in Durban on the East Coast and I moved to Australia when I was five with my mum, my dad and my little brother. So what, what brought your family out to South Africa? I mean, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's hot. We're basically perishing right now. So what I meant to ask you was what brought your family out from South Africa to Australia? Um, well, South Africa's like... Oh, it's an amazing, amazing place, um, but it's not really a place you want to raise young kids. So, just because of the safety things. So, um, yeah, here the lifestyle is so much more laid back, and um, yeah, my parents just really wanted to raise kids in a safer, safer environment. environment. Yeah. So they brought their young family out. So you were five. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I had a little brother. Yeah. Um, he was two at the time. time. So, yeah. I brought you out to Australia. Where did you guys settle? Um, in Perth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, what – no, right now we're in the Northern Territory. We're kind of in the middle of nowhere. Well, not in the middle of nowhere. We're actually like 30 k's out of town. But, you know, let's not let that get in the way of a good story. Um, but you spent a lot of time in the middle of nowhere. Perth is a city, though. Did you – were you guys based in the rural areas of Perth or were you in the city? No, we were just in the suburbs. So, Perth is very much um, – the lifestyle there very much revolves around the coast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, our house is pretty normal, just like three k's from the beach, and that's pretty much what you – you know, I spend my whole childhood dancing, but a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the families that live there will just – like the beach is their yeah. whole life. <laughs> so you – you guys moved to the suburbs and you, so you had no agricultural, did you have any agricultural connections back in South Africa or were you kind of in the suburbs there too? No, we were in the suburbs there too. I, yeah, cause I grew up, um, I grew up dancing from the age of four till I was 20. I only, and when you dance, 
like they don't want you to do other stuff. Like you just do that. Yeah. So you just, your focus is completely on that. And, um, yeah, it was only when I turned 20 that I was like, actually, I want to learn how to ride a horse. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so I quit dancing, which. What kind of dancing did you do? I did ballet, jazz, tap, theatrical, contemporary, acro, all sorts. Wow. And so that was your, so your life growing up was living in the suburbs, going to dance class. Yeah, that was my childhood. I love, I wouldn't have had it any other way though. I loved it. But, um, yeah, it sort of got to the point where I was 20. I was never like amazing at it. I just really loved it. And I was like, well, (laughs) I'm never going to be a dancer. (laughs) So I might as well try and do something else. And I, yeah, always wanted to ride horses and I just never, you know, could because I already did dancing. So. So what was it that made you want to ride horses though growing up? Was it, did you, was it in books or TV shows or just you like the look of horses? No, um, whenever we would go somewhere, um, like when I was a kid, mum would take us on a trail ride. Yep. And yeah, I just loved it. <laughs> and so how did you, I'm guessing if you're in Perth then, you probably started off writing English? Um, yes, but only very briefly. So I only like started learning when I was 20 and my dad had just bought a new house that was like a little bit, um, out of the way. When I say out of the way, I was only like 20 minutes away, (laughs) but, um, the property started to get a little bit bigger than like the average suburb house. So it was like a two and a half acre property, whereas, you know, a normal house is, I don't know, 800 square meters or whatever. And, um, all the surrounding properties were a bit bigger as well. And I went for a walk the one day and found this little riding school, like three K's down the road. And I literally phoned the number on the, like the board outside on the gate and the lady there, she's one of my best friends today. Um, she was in the shower and, but she picked up and she was like, hello, can I help you? And I was like, yeah, can you teach me how to ride a horse? And she was like, okay, how about Thursday? Like, I was like, righto. Actually, I'm standing at your front gate yeah. right now. Yeah, I did tell her that. And yeah, we're actually the best of friends now, but yeah, she taught me how to ride very briefly. And then I, um, Six months later, I went to America and Canada and just, like, helped out on farms and... Okay, so that's a pretty big jump, though, from growing up in the suburbs dancing to riding horses to working in America and Canada. What were you... So, you were 20 when you started learning how to ride, so you'd been out of school for a few years. What were Were you studying or working at the time? Yeah, I'd actually done half a degree um, in nutritional medicine, like naturopathy, um, like, like, um, oh, naturopathy. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, yeah. So I did 18 months of that when the degree's three years and yeah, after the, yeah, the third semester, I was like, hmm, I'm going to go traveling instead. <laughs> this isn't for me. Okay. So um, that wasn't even remotely sort of, you know, agriculturally. No. So what made you, so, I mean, it's one thing to ride horses that doesn't necessarily give you that bridge to agriculture, though, because you could be riding horses down the beach or doing dressage or, you know, doing an English discipline doesn't necessarily mean I ride horses, I'm going to go work with cows next. So how did you decide I want to take this further and in that direction of agriculture? And then tell me about also going overseas. Okay, so what happened was um, that year that I, you know, went for the walk and decided I wanted to ride a horse by stumbling into that um, lady's property. 
Um, so that year, at the start of the year, um, my dance school was going on a overseas trip to dance at Disneyland in California, and it was going to cost like five and a half thousand dollars or something for like ten days or two weeks or something like that. And I was like, oh, America, like I would really love to go. Um, but if I'm going to spend all that money, I want to go for longer. And so at first I was going to like stay for the dancing and then stay on longer. But then it was so expensive that I was like, I'll just scrap the dancing <laughs> and I'll just go overseas for a holiday. Sorry, coach. I'm actually just yeah. going to bail out. Yes. <laughs> but thanks for the idea of going overseas. Yeah, pretty much. So that's like, that was when I was starting to ride horses and I was like, um, sort of did like looked at doing a work away or help X or woofing or whatever it's, um, I think there's different names for it. And yeah, you pretty much just go help out on properties with animals, like with horses and whatever and whatever they do. And then, um, and they give you food and accommodation. So, um, I thought it was a good deal before I went. <laughs> when you get there, you actually end up working damn hard um, for very little. <laughs> but um, spoken like a true woofer. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was, yeah, it was a really good experience, and I learned a lot and met some really amazing people. Okay, so when you were in Canada, did you work on a ranch? What were you actually doing over there, and where were you? Yeah, so I worked on a few different ones. I tried to make it so that I would stay at each place for about a month. So I started out um, at four places and then, like, that's what I booked and organised for myself. Um, Yeah, so I started out in British Columbia. I did um, a month in Naramata and then um, a month in Kamloops. Then I went up to the Yukon and um, did a month in Whitehorse. I think that was was like, yeah, five weeks. Um, and then I went over to Alberta and I did a month and a half in Drayton Valley where I actually went the following year. But um, Whitehorse was amazing because I met two girls there. Um, they were twins. They were 16 at the time and they were doing – they were from Austria and they were doing like a, um, like a work experience thing because they – were from an agricultural college over there and they had to work away um, from home at a farm and they chose Canada <laughs> from Austria. And, yeah, they're amazing. They're such hard workers and we be- all became really good friends. And, um, yeah, their parents came over to visit them while they were there because they were there for 10 weeks or 12 weeks or something. And... Um, yeah, their parents drove me to Alaska for a day, so we went to Skagway, and that was amazing. It was so beautiful. And then they invited me to Austria, and I was like, oh, that was not part of the plan. <laughs> like, that's probably a bit expensive. And the mum was like, no, like, it's not so bad from here. It's like, because you're probably thinking from Australia it's expensive, but it's not so bad from North America. And I actually looked it up, and to fly from New York, it actually wasn't that expensive. And I was like, okay, so, yeah, and then I ended up in Austria for a month. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. And so, and they were from a farm, so you were kind of in a rural setting there as well? Yeah, they were, like, on this amazing 500-year-old house that had been in their family for generations on the side of this um, – 
this mountain like on the Austrian Alps and we rode horses bareback down the mountains. They took me camping in Italy because it was like two-hour drive <laughs> and yeah, it was just amazing. Holy havocs, you've had some adventures like just in that year alone. Yeah, um, that was <laughs> What was, was it like year. in Canada? So it was all, was it all cattle ranches with horses? Um, no, no cattle. So yeah, when I come up here, this is the first time that I've worked, worked with cattle. Yeah. But yeah, there were, there were always horses is, where I was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're getting more interested in the horse side of things, I guess. Yeah. And, and then, so you went to Austria. What did you do after that? What were you thinking at this point? Cause you, you'd planned this trip away mm-hmm. and then you've done your extra time in Austria. Did you have a plan to like, well, I'm going to go home, finish studying, get a job, blah, blah, blah. Well, I actually, when I booked the ticket, so I booked a ticket from Australia to LA and then return, but I booked it eight months late, like yeah, eight months to away. go home. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, like I'd organised those four months to be away, like the four different places in Canada where I, um, you know, worked on ranches. But after that, I didn't really have many plans um, so yeah, I did my four months in Canada and then after Alberta, yeah, after the Yukon, I went to Alberta. Then after Alberta, I spent six weeks there. Um, then I flew to New York and then I went from, um, New York to Austria and came back to New York. From there, from there, I got myself in a bit of trouble. I was actually homeless in New York because when I was, when I went there, um, I was just couch surfing. I had no money and I'd been working for the last four months and not saving anything because I wasn't working, you know, to get paid. I was working for food and accommodation. So yeah, so I had nothing. And, (laughs) and how old were you at the time? Were you still 20 or had you been 21 by then? I just turned 21 after after Canada, when I got to New York, um, that was a week after I turned 21. And that was when I had my first drink there. So I only, yeah, I only had my first drink after I turned 21 because this is probably a story that doesn't sound very safe, but I was couch surfing and I was staying at some guy's house that I didn't know I'd never met before. (laughs) And it was just like an online sort of forum, like, can I live with you for free for a night? And they either say yes or no. And oh, my so, God. Um, so I was staying at this other person's house in Manhattan for the first night, and then you sort of just see who says yes, like who where you can stay. And I don't know if you've ever been to um, New York, but from Manhattan yeah. to Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Manhattan to Brooklyn, it should only be like a 30 to 40-minute train ride max. It took me five hours because <laughs> it was the middle of the night. I just got every wrong train, every wrong bus, didn't have service because my phone um, was on like not on a plan, so I only could connect to Wi-Fi when there was any, but none of the shops were open, so I couldn't get Wi-Fi, didn't know where I was going. Ended up at this guy's place eventually at 2 in the morning, and it was a week after I turned 21, and he had this like – he stayed up and waited for me, and he was with this other girl who was French who was also couch-surfing there. And um, they stayed up and he had this like like half a litre mason jar of 
I don't know what was in it. <laughs> this is getting worse by the minute. Oh my god. <laughs> and and he was ah uh, yeah, I just like had all my bags to carry for like the last five hours and every wrong train was like so glad like relieved to be there, just so happy that that little journey was over. And he was like, Oh, I'm, like sorry you had so much trouble like finding us. I made you a drink and I was like, Good and just drank it <laughs> and that was the my first drink. I don't understand how you're sitting here alive in front of me today. And for anybody listening, yeah, that sounds like a wild adventure. Do not try this at home or I will come and hunt you down personally and tell your parents if you do. Think Water Broome are your local water experts for irrigation projects big and small. Their fully stocked retail store sells the latest irrigation products including fittings, pipe, filtration and solar supplies. Covering the Kimberley and Pilbara regions of Western Australia, their knowledgeable and passionate team are experts in the design and implementation of the most water-efficient irrigation and water management programs across all sectors. I was going to ask you what it was like, you know, being 20 and going overseas by yourself and living, I think I was 23 the first time I moved overseas by myself and you know, you don't have any family over there and you, God, you weren't working, you didn't have money. What did your parents think you were doing? Um, they were like, yeah, they're just, they're like, oh, she's, she's, she's fine. She's got yeah. it handled. She's got it sorted. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Um, well, obviously you came through that. So what did you, after New York, I'm afraid to ask where you went <laughs> next and what you did in the remaining four months. Like. <laughs> um, well, I ended up staying with that guy for, I think it was eight nights or... Okay, cool. So, yeah, it definitely wasn't a serial killer. No, no. As you're still alive. It was so much fun. We were there. So, it started out, there were just the three of us. And then I swear by the time I left, there were like 12 of us. And there was another girl, another Australian girl. She was from Sydney. Then there was two, a uh, couple from the um, Ukraine, a couple from Poland, just like a couple more French people just... All of us backpackers just all living together and we'd all go explore New York all day and then um, this guy's apartment had like a rooftop oh, cool. yeah, area yeah. and, yeah, we just hang out all night and okay. we had so much fun. So, aside from the glaringly obvious, like, security and safety risk, it sounds like a pretty good time though, like a yeah, lot of fun. it was a lot of fun. I am safety stuff though, so I'm sitting here like <laughs> trying to calm my heart down being like, oh, dear God. Um, so, yeah, so sorry, where did you yeah. go after that? What did you so do from, be- between then and coming back to Australia? Well, from there, like from that experience in New York, that's when I went to Austria. I flew to Germany. Oh, they okay. picked me up from Germany, drove me to Austria, spent a little bit of time in Italy, but mostly Austria, and then they drove me back to Germany and I flew back to New York. Then I didn't have a place to stay because no one – no, nobody couch surfing one in me and I didn't have enough money to like have a, you know, to Did you have to buy sleep a place rough? to stay? Um, well, the first night, the first night I stayed, yeah, actually the first two nights were really, really dodgy. I stayed at different, two different people's houses, yeah, couch surfing and yeah, it wasn't, yeah, I probably wouldn't do that again. And then, <laughs> oh lord! Um, and then after that, I had nowhere to stay, 
and it was raining because it was October and it's like getting into winter. And I just remember thinking I had 26 Australian dollars to my name. That was it. And like, that was all I had. And I still had like three months left in America. And yeah, I was like, I just have to get out of the rain because I had a sleeping bag and I had one tiny little backpack. Um, and that's all I had. And there's no overhangs in New York. So I was trying to find like a dry place to sleep, but there are no dry places <laughs> because there's nowhere like where the roof ends, the building starts. And so there was nowhere that I could find that was dry. So I thought, well, if I catch a bus, at least I won't have to worry about accommodation tonight. I'll just stay on the bus. So I bought the only ticket I could afford, which was to Philadelphia. My phone was dead. So I didn't like remember, oh, sorry. I didn't like know where Philadelphia even was. (laughs) I didn't know how long it would take to take to get there. Um, but I just thought, yeah, it was the only ticket that I could afford. It was 13 us dollars. And that was all I like converted. That was about all I owned. Um, and I thought, well, at least hopefully it's not raining there because I can find somewhere to sleep. So I get on this bus at 11 o'clock at night thinking, oh, I'm good. I'm set. Like I have accommodation for tonight at least. I arrive there. It's only a two-hour drive. <laughs> so I arrive there <laughs> at one in the morning. They drop me in the middle of the city and it's still raining. <laughs> and I'm thinking, shit, well, now what do I do? And so I ask some other people who get off the bus and I'm like, is there a train station nearby? Like, where can I go? And they're like, oh, yeah, there's 30th Street Station just down the road. If It's just a quick walk. And I went, oh, beauty. So I walk in there. It's like big and dry with almost looks like church pews and like marble floor and like it's not raining in there because it's like indoors and I thought oh this is great like I'll just sleep here so I roll out my sleeping bag at about three in the morning um on one of the benches and I wake up 20 minutes later and all my stuff's gone (laughs) oh my god I, we're going to have to, like, do your parents know this? Are we going to have to pretend that you never did this podcast? Oh, like, no, no. No, they know. Oh, my God. Okay, continue on. I love – I had no idea what I was walking into with this podcast because I didn't know anything about you. This is what happens, folks, when you don't prepare. But this is so great. Um, Please keep going. Like, where did you get your stuff back? No. So, I had no oh. phone, no passport, oh no my money. God. They even I had you know those little like four dollar shoes from Kmart that you like ballet flats. Yeah. yeah. So I had those on. Those are the only shoes that I owned, and I taken them off because they were wet because oh. I was in the rain um, to sleep. And they they'd even stolen those. So I had no shoes, <laughs> no anything. They even stole my sleeping bag cover. So when I like got up, all I, I had to like hold my sleeping bag loosely so I, with no shoes on. So like that was all I had was like one loose sleeping bag. And I must have looked so homeless because <laughs> I totally was. Well, you were. You were <laughs> 21 in a foreign country. No. So did you lose your phone as well? Yeah. They so no phone, no, no phone, wallet, no, no ID, wallet, no passport. Yeah, no nothing. No clothes, no nothing. Yeah. What? The, oh, my God. Like. Yeah, sorry, keep going. Like, I'll try and contain myself. 
<laughs> so I went to the um, policeman that was on duty and was like, look, it was, yeah, it was 3.30 in the morning. I was like, look, all my stuff's just been stolen. I'm not really sure what to do from here. I wasn't, like, panicked or anything. I was just like, righto, like, what now sort of thing. And um, he was like, yeah, that happens. Like, it's bad. Like, we're pretty bad for that here. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't really get any help from him. So I went over. There was a gentleman sitting down and he – looked like the most put-together person in the whole train station. Everyone else looked as homeless as I was. <laughs> and um, so I went over to him and I said, can I please borrow your phone? Mine's just been stolen. And he was like, yeah, no worries. And then he looked and he was like, oh, actually mine's flat. And I thought I thought he was like 26 or something and I was 21. Turns out he was 18. <laughs> he just looked older. <laughs> and he was like, but I'm going back to my college campus like, just come with. And I was like, yeah, righto. So <laughs> we catch a train back there and I sort of spend the day um, just around there. And then um, and then he goes, well, you can't stay here tonight because I'll get in trouble. So he shouts me $7 to get back on the train <laughs> so I can go back to sleep at the same train station. <laughs> <laughs> the next night. So I'm back there again with my loose sleeping bag rolled out. I'm not worried about anything getting stolen because I don't have, have anything <laughs> anyway. And then I've literally been asleep for 20 minutes again. Like I've I only had 20 minutes sleep the last night. This is my second night with only 20 minutes sleep and I was so tired. And these policemen wake me up and they're like, ma'am, what are you doing? You can't sleep here. Are you like, what? are you waiting for a train? And I was like, no. <laughs> and I was just so tired. I couldn't even, you know, think or function. And they were like, well, what are you doing? And I was like, all my stuff got stolen. <laughs> so I'm just sleeping here. And they um, heard my accent was different. It wasn't American. And they were like, oh, my God, like, where are you from, you poor thing? <laughs> and so they were really lovely. They were... I think one of them was questioning me and then all of a sudden there were like four of them and one of them went and like bought me water and an Aww. apple. One of them got old gym shoes out of their car and gave them to me so I had shoes to oh, wear. Yeah, you're still barefoot <laughs> at this point. No shoes. Oh my God. Um, one of them was on the phone to um, the consulate of Australia because the one in America was shut because it was like 11 o'clock at night by that point but the one in Australia was open um, and then managed to get hold of my mother <laughs> who, who just laughed and was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, of course she has. <laughs> and and um, managed to organise me to go back to New York where I could get for like two nights or something where I could get a new passport because the um, – they didn't have that in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had to go back to New York. The policeman put me on a train back there. Um, and I ended up, it was so lucky. Like I ended up in the consulate of Australia and they were so good. I literally had no ID at all. And within two hours I had a brand new printed passport. And yeah, I was just so I was so lucky that they were so helpful. And because did you I've come home? No. <laughs> what the 
the hell, girl? Well, oh my god. Well, from there I could get a ticket back to LA. So Did your mum send you some money or something? Yeah. Like, so she booked, okay. Well, no, but she booked me a ticket to LA so I could because my my um my return flight was from LA, so yeah. I had to get from like one side of the country yeah. to the other. So that's and then that you problem. got on a plane. Not for a couple months. Oh my. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm about to have a bloody heart attack here. Um, okay. Do I want to know what happened in the next few months? It gets better, right? Yeah, it gets, the story yeah. gets better? Okay, yeah. cool. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. I think I'm ready now. So I land in LA and I catch a bus up to Sacramento, which is about 10 hours north, and um, I meet cousins that I – sort of forgotten about. I hadn't seen this cousin since I was three in South Africa. And, um, yeah, he and his wife, he was, I think, 31 or 32 at the time, and he had a wife called Liv and a little baby called Violet and ended up staying with them and reconnecting with them, which was lovely. I was only meant to be there for, like, a week and ended up staying for, like, three weeks just because I loved them so much. And... um yeah, then I went back down um, south, like south of L.A., and ended up, ended up staying. Um, well, I caught a train down there and ended up staying with this lady in Laguna Beach um, who was Liv's auntie, so my cousin's wife's auntie. Um, she came and visited them while I was there, and she was like, come and stay with us. And um, so I caught a train down there. Um, I stopped though in San Luis Obispo, where again I had nowhere to sleep oh my God. for two nights. And what I did was all the, it's a tiny little town like surrounded by mountains. And I was like, oh, cool, I'll just sleep on one of the mountains. But in order to get to the mountains, they're all like paddocks and like you can't get there because the houses are blocking them. So you have to almost walk through someone's property to get there. And yeah, and it's all, no trespassing armed response because it's America. Yeah. So I managed to, like, climb through someone's <laughs> back <laughs> gate through, like, an alleyway and I end up in this horse paddock on the top of one of the hills where I can roll my sleeping bag out. <laughs> and that's where I stayed for those two nights. Um, and actually there were these trees um, that had – not sure if they were Irish strawberries or there was some sort of strange berry that I'd never seen before. And I tried one <laughs> one day and they were on the verge um, of just about the whole town. Like they were just everywhere. Yeah, and I ended up living off these berries that were so delicious. What? <laughs> this just keeps getting better and better. This is officially <laughs> the wildest and best podcast we've ever had, like best episode ever on this podcast. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. At least Laguna Beach is a pretty flash, swanky place. Did you at least get to stay somewhere nice and, like, have a shower and fresh towels? Oh, my goodness. The place that I stayed was amazing. This lady owned a house, like, right on the cliff on Laguna Beach. And you know the TV show Laguna Beach, Beach, The the Real Owned? So the lady that I was staying with, her sons were in the year group of that, of the people in that TV show. So they those are all their high school friends. <laughs> and you sound like a bear. You sound like a homeless, very lucky bear girls, like living off berries. It, I just. Yeah, it was just bizarre. It really um, is. 
Yeah, and as the voice of reason here, I will tell you, it it's different. Yeah, it was yeah, it was crazy to me too. And I didn't know who any of these people were. <laughs> but um one of the sons was like, Oh, like I'll take you out one day and um he was so nice. Like they both um both the sons like just ended up um yeah, just showing me around and it was sweet. I had the best time. And one of them took me out um, to have dinner with his friend and his friend's father. His friend was Stephen Coletti. <laughs> and I didn't know who he was at the time. They were really lovely people. But, yeah, we were out there and then I'm like, look back afterwards and I was like, oh, he's actually well known. <laughs> but for people listening who may not know, can you explain who he is? Um. I think I'm not sure if he was on Laguna Beach, but he's a character um, in One Tree Hill. Oh! That TV series. I'm gonna Google this right now. Now that name's ringing a bell. Oh my god! What's his name? Stephen Coletti. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. All right, guys, just pause your podcast. Press. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yep. Yeah. I remember him now. <laughs> I love this because when you were like, I didn't know who he was at the time, I was like, I don't know who this is either. Yeah. <laughs> now I know who he is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> continue on. Yeah, so it was just really funny to me that I was like, yeah, sleeping on the, in a horse paddock one, um, one day and then the next day on this, like, very, you know, beautiful beach scene. <laughs> Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs, including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au. Okay, so you've had some pretty wild experiences overseas. I, I dare say... Let's go back to Australia now, but I'm I'm still low key worried about what's going to come up in the rest of this podcast. <laughs> um, how did you go from? So again, your experiences overseas, kind of rural. I mean, particularly when you're sleeping in a horse paddock on the side of a mountain, but not necessarily agricultural. What happened to make you come up north into the cattle industry? Like, how do you? Can you fill in that gap for me as to? How do you come to that decision? Yeah, absolutely. Although, let's be honest, how did you come to a lot of your decisions is what I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I have a lot of trust in, in the world. When I probably should not chopped up in tiny little pieces somewhere. How, how are you on the Central Station podcast and not the feature of a true crime podcast is what I want to know. But anyway, back to Australia where it's hopefully safer. <laughs> so, after, yeah, after my experience in America um, – I ended up spending the rest of my time with those people that I met there. And I was actually there for the Trump elections in 2016. Oh, me too. Yeah. Oh, right. We both survived Trump. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and then a couple of days after that, I flew home. That was my time up. And that was Good like, time to leave. Yeah. And that was November 2016. Um, the friends that I made in Alberta yeah. while I was in Canada um, caused me to – yeah, when I go back the following year, so in 2017, when it was summer again, so like March-ish, I left Australia again and um, went and worked in Alberta for six and a half months. Yeah. What were you doing over there? So I was doing the same thing. This lady had um, 
like a horse breeding program going and, um, yeah, training, yeah, breeding and training um, English, um, sorry, warm bloods, yep. like English riding mm-hmm. for jumping and dressage. And, um, yeah, I was just giving her a hand. I lived in a little caravan <laughs> off the property somewhere. And, um, yeah, I just loved it. I worked in a petrol station to get money. I worked at Petro Canada Southside and cleaned the toilets and um, restocked the drinks fridge. And that was my, yeah, getting paid $13 an hour. So that was my um, actual paid job. And then the rest of the time I would just help out um, this lady that I was staying with who was lovely. And... Yeah, and from there, like, I was doing all, like, horse stuff and all agricultural stuff. And I think what I didn't realise, like, I stayed there for six and a half months and I get a phone call from my mother um, in about October, like, towards the end of the year. She had decided to go on a three-month trip around WA in a troopie by herself. Um, I think her partner joined her for some of that, but she was mostly alone and she ended up on this station in the West Kimberley that, was just the most beautiful place she'd ever seen. It actually reminded her of Africa with the big boab trees and the big red sunsets and um, just the way the land is. And she's an artist, my mum, so she just hung out and took photos and walked the dogs and painted all day and she just had the most amazing time and watched the um, ringers all, you know, come in from the muster and just saw you know, saw all the amazing side of it for the first time and was just fell in love. And she was like, Jamie would love this, you know. So she actually spoke to the manager at the time and was like, my daughter, like, has to work here. (laughs) Like, she's coming up next year. And um, the manager at the time was like, "Um, okay, like, she can send me a resume, I guess. Um. And yeah, I had no experience, but managed to work there the following year. Because my mum called me and was like, Jamie, like, you need to come up here and do this. Because I was chasing that lifestyle overseas. I didn't realise, like, it was right. In your backyard. Yeah, in in our backyard, in the same state that I was, you know, from. So, So I suppose from this first part of the episode, like you're a pretty resilient, uh, resourceful, chilled out, adventurous person, you know, nothing much seems to stress you or phase you from what you'd been through overseas. Um, so I think cause for a lot of people, when they first come up North, it's either the weather or how big the places are or how remote you are and far from town and disconnected you are. It can be a lot for people to take in. But I feel like, I don't know, I'm just wondering, I was going to ask you, you know, what was it like when you first came up? But I'm almost wondering if I'm actually going to get a response from you because you just seem to take everything in your stride. Like, I don't know what would phase you, but tell me about coming up to the Kimberley and what that was like for you. Yeah, not a lot worried me about it, but I thought it was amazing. Like, I just marveled at everything, like the big, yeah. I just loved that from horizon to horizon you couldn't see a single building, like a single, like everything was just nature from, yeah, sky to sky, and it was just 
so cool to me. I just loved it. And what about, so you'd been doing stuff with horses for the past, I guess it would have been like three years by then. So still fairly fresh in that. And then now we're adding cattle to the mix and not just adding any cattle, we're adding some uh, spirited animals, you know, on, and you know, it's quite different to if you'd worked in a dairy down south or on a small farm or something, you know, this is a whole different ball game. These are huge numbers of cattle and it's all, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. What was that like? Yeah, no, I'd never even seen a cow up close. <laughs> I was, I was so. I bet you saw a lot by the end of the year. Yeah, I had. Um, yeah, I was so ridiculously green and useless that I was, yeah, I was very lucky. I had um, a very good head stockman and leading hand um, that were just amazing teachers, um, super patient with me. <laughs> Um, I guess they understood that, you know, I was a first year and so were a lot of the other um, workers that year. And, yeah, we just ended up as a really good team because, yeah, it was just, yeah, we got really lucky with the the people teaching us, you know. Did you ever have moments where you, especially being new to this, that you kind of got a bit overwhelmed or doubted yourself in learning these new things, like how imp- I'm just thinking, how important because not when you say you had the really good head stockman and leading hand. I know from personal experience and from talking to a lot of people that not everyone gets that, and I think that can be really make or break, especially if you have those moments where you're like, "What am I doing here?" or "I'm not picking this up fast enough." And if you've got that person in your corner, though, it just changes everything. So, did you did you have any moments or? No, I think because of them. That, yeah, that was probably the main reason I had such a good year was because, yeah, the people that I was working with every day were so, um, yeah, we just all worked so well together, you know. Like I don't even – I know when you look back on a time, you sort of end up remembering the good rather than <laughs> the bad. But, um, yeah, I just – you mean you're not remembering the times where you'd probably just like yard it up and you were just sweaty and your clothes were sticky on you and your water bottle was full of warm water with like dirt on the outside? And yeah, but I love just- that. <laughs> I love really? all of that, yeah. All I think about at those times is like, God, I want an icy hole or a frozen Coke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I loved all of that. It was actually really funny because, um, yeah, my first head stockman that year, We, you know, like when you get – when you're on – the muster and, you know, the cows have broken already. You've already got them back into mm-hmm. a mob and there might be a few feral, you know, things in there, but a few clean skins or strange cattle and – but, you know, you've got a handle on them and they're all walking like pet lambs because you've been doing it for the last five hours. And you're at that point where you can sort of relax a little bit because everything's walking nicely. That's the time where I'm, like, looking around and I'm like oh, – you know, like the trees are so beautiful and I'm so lucky to be sitting on a horse right now and I can just see the blue, blue sky. <laughs> and I would, yeah, I would just be so appreciative of everything that my eyes could take in and my head stop and would look over and be like, oh, Jamie's off with the fairies again. again. <laughs> and, yeah, it was just funny. What was your favourite thing about being up north and in the cattle industry? What would you say is like the one thing that really sticks out in your memory that is your favourite aspect of all of it? That's a really hard question because I don't – I think it's a a mixture of a lot of things. Like I think I love how – 
I know it can get annoying being in everyone's pockets the whole time, but I love the relationships that you form, like the close, close friendships and like those people from my first year. I mean, I mean it's been three years now. I still call them like every other day and like we're just such good friends even now. And yeah, I just love, yeah, the relationships you form. I love being outdoors the whole time. Like, I think that's amazing. I love being surrounded by nature. I love working with animals. Um, just the whole lifestyle, everything about it, that's wasn't normal for me, you know. Like, it was normal for me to live in a house and drive a car and, um, you know, work inside from where I grew up and saw other people, you know, doing life. And then to all of a sudden find myself on a station where the whole – almost like an alternate universe like that's not it wasn't normal for me to you know ride horses all day and bring the cows in and all of that I just yeah I think it was such a novelty for me that I just loved every part of it and so you've obviously enjoyed it so much that you came back for a second year and now in your third year you're up in the territory and you've been out contract with a contracting crew you've tried your hand at camp cooking but as you know it's much more fun when you get to play with the cows and the horses. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose some people, you know, it depends what you're into, really. Um, I can't cook to save my life, and let's be honest, nobody would want me as they can cook. Um, what – and now you're – at the moment, you're just doing a bit of time with Becky, who was our last podcast episode, the horse trainer and trick rider. So, I just – I guess it's not a surprise now that I've heard all those overseas stories, but about how you just find these opportunities and you're just willing to give anything a go and have a crack. And tell us about what you're doing here with Becky. Yeah, no, it's been really great here. I'm super happy. Um, I've been – I just love watching her, um, you know, how she works with the horses every day and trying to pick up, you know, what she's doing and, um, you know, how, you know, that makes that better or – yeah, just constantly learning and I love um, I love keeping busy as well and it's so wonderful to be surrounded by, um, like, she has such an amazing work, work ethic and I think it's to put yourself in that environment where someone else is that motivated I think is really, um, yeah, is really good for you because like, it gets you in that mindset and yeah, it's it's just been really lovely. <laughs> so where we're sitting today in this sea container, and granted, I feel like it might have dropped a couple of degrees. I really thought we would have perished by now. Um, although my computer wants to perish. Um it's so different to say five years ago when you were in Perth dancing at uni studying naturopathy, is that yeah, or naturopathic medicine. Do you ever look back and just at that time in your life or, you know, before the age of 20 and be like, it just feels not familiar and like a different time and just you wonder like, it just feels so different to where you are now because it really is so different. Yeah, it is very different. I mean, I grew up, I grew up with like on stage with a face caked full of makeup for like <laughs> the age of four or five and it's so funny because I don't wear makeup to this day because my childhood memories of makeup are were like at the dance concert and me and, um, you know, 
my best friend were at the time were like putting makeup on our faces because we had to have enough for stage makeup. Otherwise, yep. one of the mums would touch it up. Oh. <laughs> I remember being like, no, like <laughs> run away from the makeup lady <laughs> because she'd just like cake on more. <laughs> and you'd be like, I already have like this much thick stuff on my face. Like I don't need any more. And yeah, it was just so funny how, uh, yeah, I just have such a different <laughs> memory of it than other kids. But um, yeah. I just Does it make you wonder, you know, if that's where you were five years ago and this is where you are today, like where the hell are you gonna be in five years from now? That's a very good question. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> that's good though. I think I think what we've gotten from this though is you've got your adventure. Um I love because, you know, for people listening, I haven't really done an episode like this before, like off the cuff, which I'm sure people realise as I was dying during all of your overseas stories. Um, but from what I'm, you know, on the fly right now picking up is that you've got like this incredible sense of adventure. I know you have a good work ethic from talking to Becky. Like you've taken, you've been working since God knows what time this morning. I got here at Savo, you were cleaning troughs and you've just taken a, your lunch break. Um, although Becky might kill me because I have kept you for a little while um, to do this and then you're going to go back to it um, and you just don't seem to let the little things phase you, which is very rare, particularly, I suppose, in this day and age with, I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, instant gratification and social media and whatever, like just a whole Gen Y, Gen Z, I don't know, what the Gen, Gen Z, whoever we are, not me, I'm old, I'm a millennial. But I can't wait to see, like, where you do end up in five years because really, I mean, I think it's the same for anybody. Like, you never know where you'll be in five years, but particularly you, like, because you've just got the attitude to boot, like, and the sense of adventure. So I suppose to finish up, um, I love, I just love that, you know, the Cattle Station podcast. I suppose part of this podcast, though, is not just to have stories from Cattle Stations. Like, we obviously spoke about your time out in stations, but I think my favourite part of this podcast was... Oh my God. Like, who knows? You know, it just goes to show you could be homeless one moment overseas and then working for a horse trainer in Australia several years later. You never know where you're going to end up um, or where people have come from. So what I want to ask you to finish up is, is there a piece of advice or something that you live by that has helped you get to this point and there's something that's kind of stuck in your mind and that you tend to rely on and, and use in your life? Well, I believe in the law of attraction and, um, yeah, I just think that if you focus on all the good things in your world, that the good actually gets better. So you don't – if something um, in your world isn't going right, you actually don't put your attention on it. You put your attention on the things that you are appreciative of and more of those things – you know, make themselves known to you. So, um, yeah, I guess that's the, that's the thing that I, that I believe. It's really interesting that you say that because you've only been working with Becky for two weeks. And what Becky told me earlier this week in her podcast is that for her book recommendation, it was the secret and the book, the secret is all about the law of attraction. And I think it's very interesting that you say that and it makes a lot of sense though. It's, you know, what you focus on grows. So if you focus on the bad, that's just going to, it's what your focus is. And I think that makes a lot of sense listening to your story that you have just, because I mean, so many people 
would have told that story about the time, like, and that story could have been told in a completely different tone. You could have had so many different outcomes. Like, I don't know how you handled that as well as you did, but that makes sense with what you're saying now. Like, you just have this attitude. I don't know. I just want to tap into it. Like, <laughs> but anyway, I hope everyone's, I hope you've enjoyed being on the podcast. I had an absolute ball. I just, oh my God greatest episode ever um i can't wait to catch up with you again i know we're going to cross paths again um and i can't wait to hear like what adventures you've had next time because god knows you're going to have some yeah thank you thank you for having me